Today on Happy Second Fused, Michael Stuhlbarg on Call Me By Your Name, The Shape of Water, and The Post. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to the show. Welcome to my little old podcast. And welcome to a, uh, a really great conversation, I thought, today with a, a fantastic actor, a actor's actor. Um, you know, we've had a bunch of these lately where I've had these, you could call them character actors. I mean, you know, tomato, tomato, whatever. They've been leads. They've been, they've been supporting uh, players. They're just consummate actors. You know, I put people like Richard Jenkins and Willem Dafoe in that category. Um, these kind of actors. Actors that are true chameleons, and you can fit them in any, uh, in virtually any role, it seems, and they always, always elevate the material. And that is my guest today, Michael Stuhlbarg. Um, I first saw Call Me By Your Name a few months back uh, at the Toronto Film Festival. I missed it. It was at the Sundance Film Festival, and there was a huge acclaim and buzz around it. And I took, it was a while before it came back around on the festival circuit. And I saw it there, and there was so much I fell in love with about that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a, you know it's basically kind of a coming of age story about a, a young man named Elio spending a, a summer in Italy with his family. Um, Michael Stuhlberg plays the father, the patriarch, um, and Elio falls falls in love with a, with a man there, played by the great Army Hammer, and you know it's it's about you know, discovering your own sexuality and just falling in love and, 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 and all the things that we've seen many times in films, pr- probably not done so well. And yet call me by your name is just note, perfect, touching and beautiful. And, um, it, it's just one of the, one of the best films of the year. And that's one of the reasons why we've covered it, um, so extensively on this podcast is that it's a great film and it's just replete with great performances. So Michael Stubar kind of completes our trifecta. We had Timothy Chalamet on the show recently, uh, the leading performance of the film. Um, and we had Army Hammer on the show as well. And, uh, Stuhlberg was actually kind of the first one I walking out of the theater where I was like, I need to talk to him because, um, there's so much to love in the film, but there is, if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen the film, I won't ruin it, but there is a scene, a scene towards the end of the film where um, Michael Stuhlbarg, who thus far in the film has been kind of an ancillary, though charming and interesting character, um, just steals the show. And it's the emotional high point of the film. And it's, uh, it just, it, I think it just wrecks every audience member in a profound way. It's, it's, it's just so well written and well delivered. And it's, it's truly one of the scenes of the year. So that was one, yet another reason why I wanted Michael Stuhlberg on the show today. Another is that just going back, he's been in so many things, but let us honor the great uh, A Serious Man, a classic Coen Brothers movie. Um, you know, it won't surprise anybody listening to this podcast to know that I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan and I consider A Serious Man one of their best works. And Michael Stuhlbarg was the ultimate um, Coen Brothers protagonist, the put upon, beleaguered protagonist in that film. And he was so excellent in it. And um, it's just great to see him having a banner year. As I, uh, you know, said in, at the outset, it's not only about Call Me By Your Name, he's also in Steven Spielberg's The Post, which I consider one of the best films of the year. That's coming soon. He's got a small but pivotal role in that, uh, alongside the likes of Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. 
amazing. And yet another fantastic film in The Shape of Water. Uh, he has a very important role in that fantastic ensemble. Um, uh, all the actors in that, and I'm, I'm dying to get a few of the others in here at some point, but Sally Hawkins and Michael Shannon and um, Octavia Spencer, and of course, as I said, Richard Jenkins, who we've had on the podcast before. So The Shape of Water is out. You should check it out. Stu Barg is excellent in that. But, but for the love of God, if you haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, Go check it out. Um, I'll keep the intro short this week since, once again, sadly, uh, Sammy is not around to uh, make fun of me. Um, but I know she enjoys listening to me talk to myself on the intros. So this one's for you, Sammy. Uh, in the meantime, you know what I'm going to say. Please, guys, you know what to do. Go to iTunes, review, rate, subscribe, spread the good word. Those reviews and ratings really make a difference, and they are much appreciated. Um, but in the meantime, now that I've given that PSA, here's a gift to you, uh, a, a, a conversation with a consummate actor, um, and I, I just had a delightful time talking to him. I hope you will enjoy it as much as I did. Here is Michael Stuhlbarg. It's a distinct pleasure to welcome uh, Mr. Michael Stuhlberg to this office. Uh, welcome, sir. Thank you. Um, I'm a big, big fan of your work, and uh, one of the beauties of this podcast is getting to know some, uh, to, get, to, to rekindle relationships with people I know, and also to meet people that that I've long admired. And you definitely fit that latter category. And uh, and there's a lot to talk about today. So, Thank you again. Welcome. Um, you complete, by the way, the triumvirate of your "Call Me by Your Name." Uh, co-stars. I had uh, Timothy in just a couple days ago, Army last week. Uh, this has become a love fest for this film. It's yeah, a, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a special one, as, as you know. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that. But first, I just want to talk about sort of like the, the career that you've kind of carved out for yourself in that. You know, I, I think hopefully you take it as a badge of honor. You are a character actor and you are an amazing character actor. You can fit into any number of different kinds of narratives, uh, different kinds of directors. Is that something growing up? Like, did you have a reverence for the quote-unquote character actor? Um, what can I say about that? Uh, I just loved acting. In general, I didn't really separate it in terms of any particular kind or difference between what a role was. I just thought it was pretend. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, to try to be as good at it as I I, I could be. Uh, is it useful to differentiate, or is that one of those arbitrary terms that, like, you know, scholars and film critics or whatever will, will assign to careers? I mean, in the end, acting is acting, I suppose, and it's if whether you have 10 lines or 100 lines, it's a job. Yeah, I, I think um, acting has been an opportunity to walk around in other people's shoes. So I guess whatever it takes to perhaps make uh, to make something feel or seem as true as possible, and if that means putting on a fake nose or shaving your head or growing a beard or you know changing your eye color, yeah, uh, they're all tools towards perhaps a suspension of disbelief or. Or creating something that uh, maybe the audience hasn't seen before. Uh, I love to utilize those tools and to try to really just um, realize and manifest whatever the character, the way the character behaves, yeah. in the best way that I can. 
And I would think also like a unique talent you have to have is uh, adaptability in terms of different kinds of filmmakers, different kinds of sets. Um, and especially when you're doing, in some cases, a smaller role, that can be a challenge in its own way where like, you know, you're not on uh, for, there for the whole duration. You come in for two or three days or yeah. five days and you need to immediately from hit the ground running and be in the same film that yeah. everybody else is making. Yeah, it's absolutely a challenge. Uh, uh, it's like being shot out of a cannon yeah. in many ways. It's just you sort of show up and, and they say go and you, you have to have done your work beforehand and sort of uh, try to find your groove within a well-oiled machine or in some cases a machine that's not well-oiled and just try to do your thing. It's it's like being a pinch hitter uh, right. in some ways. You have to come in, hit your marks, and then go away. Is there? It must be more defining. I don't know if this has ever happened. Where like again, say you have a part that only calls upon you for three or four days. Mm-hmm. You do day one because you have to make those. Cho- you have to make choices mm-hmm. in those first couples, that first scene or two, and you can't necessarily pivot ninety degrees on the next day. <laughs> the choices you make on day one will dictate. Ostensibly, that role. Oftentimes, yes. Oftentimes, yes. But Do you find films yourself are... that night, like thinking, "Oh shit, I just boxed myself in." Well, you try not to. Yeah. You, know, you try to think things through with as much time as you can. You try to prepare as much as you can, so that you can perhaps, uh, excuse me, um, you can um, you can plan it out somewhat. Um, but it is kind of like capturing lightning in a bottle. You do uh, uh, have to, in some ways, surrender yourself to uh, the idea that you may not know exactly what you're going to do. And if you can surprise yourself, then you'll surprise everybody around you. Right. And oftentimes things are not shot in chronological order. So you, if, you, if you want to be conscious of the arc you're creating, then yes, you do have to do your work beforehand. Well, and also, I had one of your co-stars from Shape of Water, also Richard Jenkins was in here recently, who you know, talked about, you, know, you can conjure up something in your brain you know, in the privacy of your hotel room or your home, um, but you might imagine the set a totally different way. You might imagine the actor playing it a different way. Yes. And you have to be malleable and in the moment enough and, and, and willing and able and have the facility to adapt or else you're, you're screwing yourself over. Well, you are also, in that case... Acting in a film that doesn't exist. Right. You it's have, just the back of your hotel room. Yeah, it's, it's in it's your mind, <laughs> but it's not uh, up there on the screen. Yeah, yeah, you do have to be adaptable, and that's always a challenge. You never know what something's going to be, no matter how much you prepare for it. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a great many different aspects of your career. I mean, I know, you know, prior to A Serious Man, which was obviously a, a, a game changer in terms of, of the kinds of things you were doing and the medium you were acting in, you had been acting, you had done some film and TV work, but you, ostensibly it was mostly theater. You mm-hmm. were a theater actor, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So was there, and I've had this kind of debate is too strong a word, but a discussion with actors many times about like, is there a difference between acting for the stage or acting for the screen? Did you find when you started to really um, uh, jump fully into film acting and television acting that there were adjustments you had to make? Is there a different approach for you? Um, It took me a long time to figure out the medium itself. I just wasn't being hired for things. I spent many years... Uh, auditioning for uh, things that I just didn't get because I didn't really uh, thoroughly understand it. I had become somewhat of a theater animal and was doing that all the time, but 
there were some things I needed to learn and maybe some growing up. And I often fell between categories also in terms of, you know, uh, um, what I was being seen for. I was one of the, you know, 40 or 50 actors that would be called in for a lawyer on, on law and order. Sure. Uh, and that included men, women, and people of many colors and, uh, and shapes and sizes. And, uh, and, uh, it was, Oh, they got it this time. That's cool. And you go back to the business and you, you know, you look for another opportunity. Um, and I learned, I think over the course of time, maybe just to just own things in a different way, in a deeper way, and also to prepare in a greater way than I, I thought I needed to. Uh, so it was a very long learning process for me. Was it, was it a happy, prosperous life um, in the theater? Would you? I loved it. I yeah. mean, I had gone to school to be, uh, uh, to be an actor in the theater, and, um, and I, had, uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to do just that. I got yeah. to work with most of the theaters in town and, and, uh, and be on Broadway and off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and, and try a million different things, play a, a number of different characters to learn my craft from the ground up and sort of build my sea legs and feel like I could actually stand up straight yeah. amongst the community. And after a number of years of thinking of myself as a kind of an uh, apprentice, to learn as much as I could from all the the best people there were out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had some amazing opportunities and I took advantage of them to the best of that I could. And, uh, and um, yeah, I guess that was the way I wanted this to go. And then to have had these opportunities come into my life at a time when I wasn't really looking for them. Yeah. Maybe that was... That. Kind of the key for me was letting that, go of the um, that particular it, ambition. Well, no, it wasn't or, even that. It was just I was so happy doing the opportunities that were coming my way, and all yeah. those opportunities just happened to be in the theater. And I was like, oh, I get to work with this amazing director sure. and these fantastic actors, and and uh, uh, that was what I wanted to do, and that's sort of what I did. And then, yeah, when Joel and Ethan came around, I. Uh, uh, I was. I would have done anything in that film, and uh, would have been pleased to have been a part of it. And it just sort of turned out that I had lived a certain amount of time and had gone through enough to sort of be right for a couple of of those characters at that time in my life. And they knew my work in the theater, and I think that's why they brought me in. Had you ever met with them on any other film before? No, actually, I hadn't. Hmm. But they had, I know they had seen me in a couple of the plays that I had done. Yeah. I had done a workshop with Frances McDormand at Lincoln Center. We had done many readings together, she and I, and uh, uh, had worked at the 52nd Street Project, which is a wonderful organization for kids in the Hell's Kitchen area of New York City. Uh, and they learn about theater by writing the plays and getting professional actors and directors to act in them and direct them. Right. Uh, so I met Francis through there, and then I met Joel at an engagement party. And so we kind of just met in a natural way. So they knew who I was coming in, and they gave me a shot. And I was, I guess, according to them, the right guy at the right time. You, you moved to New York, uh, I assume, for Juilliard, is that? Yes. And, and made your home ever since? Yes. Anna, uh, pretty much? Was, and you grew up in California. I did. 
come from a artistic background? Like, was your family interested in the arts at all, or did they, they have any background? They were supporters or? of the arts. They took us to see plays mm-hmm. when we were kids, and uh, uh, we saw musicals uh, uh, in Long Beach, where I grew up, and in some of the neighboring towns and the uh, South Coast Repertory Theater. I grew up mm-hmm. seeing plays there, so theater was in my life, and they really, you know. They really exposed us to us exposed us to it at a young age, and they were fans of soundtracks of films and of right. theater productions. So we would listen to, you know, soundtracks, and we got to know the music of, of Broadway musicals or or film film soundtracks, and yeah. it all just sort of stretched my imagination and uh, and uh, and got me started, I guess, down the road of wanting to do this. Do you remember the first filmmaker or actor that you kind of grew obsessed with or had a fascination with growing up? Bob Fosse, probably, oh, really? yeah. Uh, I saw Cabaret, I guess, when I was a young kid. And you ended up in Cabaret, too, didn't you? I did. I did. I ended up in Sam Mendes's Broadway production of it for six months. An amazing production. It was an amazing production, and it was, you know, it was a life changing experience listening to that music as a kid growing up yeah. and being exposed to his films in particular and you know I was a, a fan of of Martin Scorsese's films when I was a kid too right. I used to watch you know Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and Last Temptation of Christ whenever those films were on yeah. I would you know I couldn't be pulled away from the TV uh, he was a huge uh, uh, um uh, he made a huge impression on my life uh, at that time as well. Was it, was there an actor that you gravitated towards, or a style of acting? Did it, when you started to kind of glean that there were different, we were a handful of people who just sort of rocked my world, and anything they did, I would see. And that was, you know, the Robert De Niro's, the Al Pacino's, sure. the Daniel Day Lewis's, the uh, Derek Jacobi, the uh, Meryl Streep. These were people who did something magic for me, and uh, and. Uh, and uh, Anthony Hopkins. These are all people I have huge admiration for and loved what they did, what they shared with us. And, uh, you know, um, they made their impressions on me when I was young. What was the environment like uh, for you at Juilliard? Which is a, t- a tough atmosphere and not, not everyone's cup of tea. Did yeah. you find it nurturing and helpful for you? Or did it feel like a trial by fire or, or what? It was everything I wanted it to be. I was sort of obsessed with doing plays and being an actor. And uh, I had gone to UCLA for two years and transferred to the Juilliard School. And uh, I felt like... Uh, I had done just about everything I wanted to do at UCLA at that time, so it seemed like a a good time to transition. And um, um, Juilliard was a very loving experience for me. I was, felt very lucky to be uh, with a group of people that I got uh, um, into the, a company with, our, our group, Group 21. Right. was a wonderful group of people. They seemed to like our class and give us all kinds of opportunities that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Tony Kushner was our playwright-in-residence wow. at that time, which was stunning and remarkable, and <laughs> yeah. he's become a friend in my life Amazing. now. Changed my life. And um, it was a magical time, and uh, uh, I was so happy to be there, and I was happy there most of the time. But, you know... It, uh, I was also young enough to be impressionable and open to all the changes that they wanted us to try to utilize. And they, they were giving, it's all about giving you tools to use to do more, 
Right. And uh, I, I took it as such and ran with it. And talking about like, you know, utilizing and learning tools, um, you know, one, one experience that always stands out, and I'm sure you're asked about it a lot in your, in your experience is the fact that you got the rare opportunity to study with Marcel Marceau, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, what, was it as, what, what was he like as a, as a teacher? I mean, Gregarious. Really? <laughs> he wouldn't stop talking. Is that true? <laughs> it's it amazing. is. It is it's hysterical, actually. <laughs> it was fantastic, though, because he was so, you know, he didn't have to. He could have led his lessons by not saying a word, but he was so full of life and so generous to all of us. Uh, I had auditioned for a scholarship at UCLA uh, to study with him for a year in France, and uh, they couldn't decide between the final four of us, so they said, all four of you are going to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and study at the World Center there, and uh, he would teach us um, once a week while he was studying or teaching the the senior students, we were beginners, and we'd study with his students most of the time, and then he'd come in and he'd teach us too, and and we'd learn things about the physical demands of telling a story with nothing but your body, uh, and how uh, how disciplined uh, the you need to be. Yeah, uh, it was a remarkable time, a wonderful summer. Um, a recent guest here, Willem Dafoe, talked about like he approaches, I think, roles first through the physical. Yeah, uh, uh, is that something? Is that something that's for, foremost in your mind? I mean, again, you have this toolkit; you can go any which way. Right. Do you have? Does your process kind of in, in approaching a character change from job to job, or is there a certain uh, few things you will always apply when you start up? Uh, I never know what I'm going to use when I start. I mean, in some cases, it's been a, a gaining of a huge amount of weight or a, a, a a losing of a great amount of weight in terms of my own body. Um, I have been a much more physical actor on stage than I have been in front of the camera. I'd like that to change, honestly. I'd love some more sort of physical opportunities, but um, uh, to try to capture perhaps a more, f- or, or to explore a more physical kind of uh, 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 characterization mm-hmm. by uh, altering uh altering myself a bit more I just you know uh, uh, every job is different every opportunity is different Uh, and um, I've learned about those kinds of things but uh, yeah uh, I mean I guess the goal is at a certain point I mean you you know you've you've done so much training and, and different kind of disciplines is at a certain point it's so internalized that it's it's not it's almost less an intellectual exercise than it is an instinctual one for you. Yeah, I guess so. Um, instinct is at the heart of it. Yeah, of everything uh, that that uh, that actors do, especially on stage, uh, because you're in a you know you're in a room with a group of people, and you know instantly when something's going well and when something perhaps is going less than well. And uh, that's all you have to go on. Yeah. Did you... So prior to A Serious Man, and I'm trying to get the chronology mm-hmm. right, you uh, had you done Hamlet prior to shooting A Serious Man? Yes, that was the last sort of play I had done right before I, sh- I did Hamlet uh, in the park in 2008. And then that fall, I yeah. went to shoot A Serious Man. Is, th- is there any con- connective tissue in the fact that, you know, there's no more central 
important part in the theater than, than Hamlet. It's a rite of passage for so many actors, and then you get to do your first kind of leading role in a film. Is there something that you took from one experience to the other, or is it just again? I imagine, yes. I mean, I've certainly learned a lot uh, uh, being given that opportunity to play Hamlet, and I felt like uh, I could have explored it for months and months and months and months. I didn't get that opportunity. It was a Shakespeare in the Park is sort of, you know, 27, 28 performances, if you're lucky, depending upon the weather. Uh, But I was so grateful to have had the opportunity to try. And um, it put me in a headspace to be absolutely ready for Joel and Ethan and the story that I was going into um, uh, in terms of my preparation uh, and trying to create the arc, as we spoke on earlier, before I got there right. so that I knew the arc of this character because I knew we would most likely be shooting it out of sequence. Um, I, I, I took the opportunity to, uh, to watch A Serious Man again this week because it's, I mean, it's one of my favorites of theirs and they're my favorite filmmakers, so you do the math, it's one of my favorite films. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's such a, a, a wonderful piece of work from all involved and it, in some ways it feels like it's like kind of the the ultimate expression of what they are. Because when I think of them, I think of kind of like this great blend of profundity and stupidity. <laughs> they kind of embrace both sides. And that's what a serious man in some ways feels like to me. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, talk to me about like just the experience of working with them. I know enough uh, in reading about them and talking to them. I had, actually had talked to them for a serious man. That was the one time I chatted with them um, that I know they're, they actually are gregarious, I think, on set. They're laughers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is that so, were, were you surprised, hardened by sort of their, the atmosphere that they create and their willingness to kind of emote on set and, and, and indicate that they're enjoying themselves? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I think there is a, there's a shot in Fargo somewhere uh, in their film Fargo when Steve Buscemi is, I guess, trying to hide the money in the snow and he, he's like falling all over himself to get back to his car or whatever. And I think the camera jostles a little <laughs> bit in one instance, which is just an example of them having a good time. It's amazing. While they're making what they're making. And I think, you know, my first inkling of that was auditioning them, auditioning for them for that film. I uh, auditioned for the role of the husband in the Yiddish parable at the very beginning of right. the movie had to learn that whole scene in Yiddish. And when I came in and did it for them, they laughed a lot. And that just made me feel instantly uh, at ease, you know, like, uh, okay, I can do this, you know, or um, uh, at least I got a laugh out of them, which was lovely. It's interesting because you you mentioned kind of like, uh, you know, obviously shooting out of sequence, which is kind of like the norm for a film, because I'm wondering, is that a particular challenge of a character like that? Like Larry, like again, when I was watching it again, I go, first of all, a lot of the scenes I thought when I was watching it, I was thinking about it. A lot of them are, it's a series of conversations. It's a lot of kind of confrontations, whether it's with a a student or the wife or Cy Abelman, et cetera. And in some ways it's like, it's a very, you have to track very specifically, like what level of exasperation Mm -hmm. and disintegration is Larry at at this point? Right. Is that something that you remember being kind of like on your mind of like how to figure out how to grade? Yes, absolutely. And Joel in particular was very helpful in terms of helping me modulate that. Uh, how much, you know, we don't want to give away too much too soon. I want to uh, uh, um, monitor 
yeah. what he's going through, what he can tolerate, what he can't, how much we want to show. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful to him for his, for his uh, guidance during the course of the shoot. Was, give me a sense of sort of like your, you know, the opportunity of something like that is tremendous, yeah. as you will, well know, and, and, and the fact that it was so well-received and well-reviewed, etc. Um, it must have been a source of pride and, 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 and relief, perhaps, that like you lived up to this challenge and that and thankfully you got some kind of new exciting different kind of opportunities around it did it feel was that a, was that a happy kind of relief uh, a moment when the film was received so well and you started to see that offers were coming in that were of a different stripe um well they kind of opened me up to a, a world that didn't know me uh having done mostly theater at that point so you, you really, I, uh, I couldn't have had uh, a, a more wonderful opportunity and more gracious uh, guides yeah. under the circumstances. Uh, um, and because of that, yes, all kinds of doors opened up for me and people uh, um, gave me a shot. And uh, that's all we can ask for, really, yeah. is an opportunity to at least get out there in front of some people and sort of say, I think I can do this. Here's my, here's, here's my take mm-hmm. on what something is. Uh, so um, that's all anybody ever really wants is a shot, yeah. you know. Well, you're making the most of it, clearly. Uh, let's Thanks. talk about some of the, the films out this year. I've seen um, all three of them, and they're all fantastic in their own unique ways. Um, in, in no uh, preferential order, uh, let, let's talk about Call Me By Your Name, which is uh, something that um, it's, just, it's just hitting everybody in the right spot. <laughs> you know, I first saw it in Toronto. and, and Well, I mean, first of all, are, are you surprised of the narrative like – Inevitably, and we'll talk about it too. There's the talk of the scene. <laughs> right. Did you did you know kind of like going in or coming out of it? Like, oh, this will probably be the thing that people will want to talk to me about. Um, I didn't think about it honestly yeah. because honestly, the original cut of the film was like three hours and forty minutes. Uh, Luca ended up trimming a lot of material away. So in the work on the storytelling, there were a lot of things that I went through and and participated in that had gravity, that had weight. But really, in Luca's version of this story, were unnecessary. Mm. Um, Now, that being said, I had been warned by my agent at the very beginning that there was this beautiful scene at the end of the story between a father and a son. And uh, it's some very moving sentiments and I uh, uh, I was um, honored and grateful and humbled to be the mouthpiece for that and we shot the film mostly in chronological order which meant that I had weeks to live with what I was going to be saying and uh, my affection for Timothy and for Army and for Luca and for everyone involved grew over the course of those weeks until when when that day arrived we were all ready I think to open our hearts to each other in a very intimate in a very intimate setting. And, and for those that, that are listening that haven't seen the film, we won't reveal the specifics of what, what happens in the speech. We can kind of dance, or dance around it, and I want to you know, maintain that level of you know, emotional impact for those that haven't seen it. But it's an interesting speech in that, you know, again, without ruining anything, it, it, kind of, it almost starts as a speech about Elio. Then it seems to be a speech about your own character. In the end, I feel like it's about all of us and this universality that we all have experienced or, or probably will experience in our life. Um, 
is that why you think it it works or it's like it's just kind of like just like hitting audiences in the gut i mean have you you've had time to kind of like probably think about this and see this with audiences and talk about it do you have a, a sense of sort of why that particular scene is so emotional for an audience at this point it's got to be a combination of all the elements of of luca's mastery in putting all these pieces together in the way he has he lets you live in the world for a while in a very open and generous way uh, he lets the camera linger the music he's chosen is extraordinary and so moving in places and the performances of army and 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 timothy and esther and amira and victoire uh, it's an it's a it's a um, it's a combination of all all the elements together, and it kind of sneaks in at a moment. Um, you almost feel like the film's over already. Yeah, in some, in some ways, you don't know really wait. where it'll go <laughs> next, and it kind of just starts. Yeah, um, it's all of those elements, and that's that's. You know, the beautiful cinematography of Soyambu Mukdipram, our DP as well. All of the elements are sort of put together in, a, in an extraordinary way. It's such a loving and beautiful character. It's this, this, in some ways, this father that we all kind of wish we had or hopefully have had, um, saying the right things, but um, also with his own regrets, as we'll, we'll learn. I mean, you know, I love the look of the character. In some ways, when I was watching it again, I was like, oh, this is, and believe me, I don't want anyone but you playing it, but I'm like, this is the part that I, f- I feel like Robin Williams. <laughs> Maybe it's the beard or something. That's the Robin Williams part in the film. I don't know if anyone else has mentioned that or if that's my own randomness. Um, was there a distinct kind of thought behind, like, how he was going to present himself in physicality and the beard, etc.? It was a real collaboration with Luca. You know, he gave me a bunch of photographs that seemed to have resonance for him in terms of what the man's spirit might be like. Mm. Um, And I had grown the beard out and he loved it. And he said, don't touch it, keep it. So that was that was uh, part of him, I guess, that just seemed right. Uh, But the rest of it was an absolute collaboration and just sort of what do you think, Luca? What do you think about these things? And he was very specific in terms of the things that I was going to be wearing. Mm. Uh, and uh, I just knew that Luca knew this man in a very deep way. Yeah. So I, I, I followed along. You mentioned that there was a, you know, early, I don't know if it was an assembly or if there was an actual version that was three and a half plus hours. Right. Um, I assume you never saw that, that no. version of it. I mean, are you the kind of actor that kind of like can go into a first screening of a film just ready to kind of embrace whatever the director has done? Or are you stealing yourself for like, this won't match what I, what I experienced. It can't, it's impossible. <laughs> well, it, it never, never does. It never will. I mean, and that's okay right. really because, uh, I don't want to be too self-conscious about what it is that I'm throwing out there. Honestly, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to live in it so that they can capture it and it's going to be their vision of what it is. Yeah. So it's always a surprise. And in some cases, there are moments when things are captured that I intended. And how nice is that? <laughs> you know? And other times when I have no idea that things would be captured in the way that they are. And that's kind of fantastic, too. You know, it's always going to have a different kind of life than you expected it to. And in the case of Call Me By Your Name, it's really been an extraordinary 
uh, uh, experience watching the film in, uh, uh, successively over yeah, from three Sunday or four different cetera, viewings yeah. and yeah. just seeing seeing how how beautifully he pieced it together. Yeah. Um, I got a chance to see the post recently, which uh, I adored. <laughs> it's, and it's a, just kind of a miracle of how like that film came together. I know. Wow. Yeah. Um, have you seen it yet? No, not yet. Oh, it's it's just fantastic. Oh, it's, wonderful. It, it's yeah. I mean, it, I, I said it. You know, today on social media, it's probably my favorite Spielberg since Munich, and uh, it's just a and. Of course, it's of the times, and yes, I think that that helps it. But beyond that, it's just a great piece of work. And so this this happened very quickly. Very quickly, yes. Um, you're playing a real life character. I don't know if then assume, I assume you didn't have much time to no. do the requisite research. No, I just sort of threw myself into it. Who is Abe Rosenthal? And get me as much <laughs> information. Get me a box of Abe Rosenthal, you know, and look up as much uh, uh, information on him as I could. I had the benefit of getting to watch interviews with him that are online that can be found, yeah. and just learning about what a tenacious, hard-lined, uh, uh, remarkable man he he was mm. uh and how uh many different people had many different perspectives on how he ran the times some adored him and some you know uh didn't uh so it was an interesting place to find myself and to sort of jump in and give it a go yeah, yeah. Right. i mean as you can tell from the posters in the office i'm i'm a child of spielberg in the 80s i grew up with all that stuff and sure. like he you know i and i watched that recent doc i've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast i don't know if you saw it, this great documentary about his work and like, i did and if anything i came away from it and i revere the man i'm like oh my god i think he might be underrated still <laughs> like he's just like he's he changed cinema he's the most influential filmmaker bar none um but he doesn't necessarily often get credit as an actor's director, quote unquote. Mm. Do you think? Do, I mean, do you think does he nurture actors in his own way? I mean, what's been your experience? You also had a, a part in Lincoln as well. That's right. Yeah. What's been your? Experience I found him, with him to be an absolute collaborator, yeah. and I also think he he stands he 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 stands out of people's way. Yeah. But he's also very present in terms of if you want to discuss things with him. Um, I've had two instances. One instance on on both films in which I brought in strong ideas about what I thought a moment should be and asked him, does he, you know, should I show him or, or uh, do, you want, do you want me to tell you about what I'm going to do for you? He said, just show me. And then he, he, more likely than not, he'll say, I absolutely love it. Now let's move the camera over here so we can capture we can use it in it, the yep. best possible way, in the best possible light. Again, using the tools in his toolkit too. Absolutely, to, to capture it in the way yeah. that he thinks will m- most benefit the story. Yeah. Uh, and so in that sense, he's, he's absolutely a team player. He's, he's, he loves actors. Uh, but he also is so gifted in terms of how stories are told and where the camera can go. And it's, it's been such a, 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 a dazzling experience watching him on the set sort of say, oh, could it be here, here, and then here, and the crew just does it. He's been working with right. these people for years, and it just, he keeps the momentum going, Of uh, he keeps the energy going. Uh, he wants us to be in the world in which we're creating. Yeah. Um, that spirit of, of, of play is so much a part of his sets. And you just love it. I mean, there's a kind of energy on his sets that I haven't experienced in any other film because everyone wants to do their best work. Everyone is so happy to be there. And we just want to make the best version of what we're doing. And it's it's uplifting. It's absolutely exhilarating. And um, 
I've, I've, and I'll do anything for him. Yeah, you know? oh, I, I would imagine, you know, when you're on the set of a Spielberg or Scorsese film, you know, you automatically you're a part of film history. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's, but you also want to show up, you know, yeah. you want to have done your work so that you can enjoy yourself and the doing of it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the cast for the post, it was an extraordinary group of everywhere you looked you know there was someone you admired yeah no if you watch like yeah the scenes in the newsroom etc it's like oh there's carrie coon with like three or four lines but she kills it and everyone you know they're all just one is better than the other um the shape of water an embarrassment of riches (laughs) to say the least this year uh guillermo de toro who again like such reverence for he's like every every film geek loves him justifiably um so this one, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Did he write this part with you in mind? I, apparently he did. Has that happened much? Never. <laughs> never. That's never happened to me before. Uh, did he tell you that when he met with you? Yeah. Yeah. He said he had me in mind for this, which knocked me sideways. You know, he, I didn't know he knew who I was. So, uh, and he didn't know that I could speak uh, 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 Russian, but he said, here's a curveball. Right. Go, uh, give this a try. Uh, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, um, he was so, uh, uh, energetic, so generous. Uh, I said earlier today that he was like a bear hug incarnate. Oh yeah. He's just We've all experienced like, the, the Guillermo hug. He's a loving it. man. I love it. But he's, he's also <laughs> like a, you know, a general in charge of an army and there's, he, he, he can really energize. Uh, he often energized the crew to just sort of, you know. And in, in, in this instance as well, um, make you do want to do your, your best possible work. Yeah. Well, you feel like it's out of his soul. Like these are stories that are so intrinsic to him. Absolutely. That need to be told. He, there's nothing else he wants to do more than. No. And he's also, it, it's, it, it comes from a very ancient place. Mm-hmm. There are archetypes and, you know, um, uh, uh, in every aspect of, of, of the story that he's shaping, as well as different genres, you have the Cold War genre, you have a, a romance, right. you have magical realism of the creature, you have B-movies, you have homages to to uh, Hollywood musicals. Mm-hmm. It's just this... And it's his spirit as well, Yeah, you know? Uh Extraordinary, really extraordinary. We were talking when you walked in about you know the, the ever present uh, name the uh, name that comes up on this podcast, Michael Shannon. Had you crossed paths with Michael in the theater world here before? Well, or? sure. Um, um, Michael and I hadn't been in any plays together, but we were on Boardwalk Empire of together. Course. What am I talking about? For yes. four seasons, yeah, but yeah. oddly, we never had. We had one seen together in four and a half years of, of working on that and we weren't even speaking to each other we were across the room from each other <laughs> I was walking across, it was the pilot walking across the room and he was pointing me out and someone was wondering if the tall guy was me and Michael said something to the effect of, does that guy look tall to you? <laughs> I can hear him saying that was it. it that was the entirety of five years of work together <laughs> do, you, so. do, you get, do you get a buzz out of working with someone, whether it's a Michael Shannon or someone uh, of his ilk that um, obviously has the facility and is just you know, has the you know Michael has a very unique energy absolutely, um, and that must be something that feeds your your soul and your your livelihood and just the excitement of being on a set. Absolutely, Michael is. Uh, I I grew to have the most remarkable admiration for Michael. 
beyond his talents as an as an actor to watch him backstage uh, uh, in the making of this film to see him go you know to lock horns with Guillermo and to discuss a moment about where the camera is what's happened beforehand why this is going on the multitude of ways in which it can be it can be told. Michael should direct, and I hope he does. Mm. I was I was dazzled by him as as an art artistic practitioner yeah. as well as being just a a fantastic person. Uh, I can't say enough kind things about the man. Well, you've you've seen the signs and, and stuff in my office of the, the things I've subjected him to. You're next, Michael. <laughs> so I hope that I know you're capable of it because you're as good as an actor as there is out there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna convince you to do something stupid with me one day. <laughs> Gladly, <laughs> excellent. Uh, this podcast, if nothing else, we've booked you for that. Um, so you're enjoying the spoils of this now. You know these great films and talking, uh, spreading the good word about them. You're, you're you are a New Yorker. I always respect and love that. I grew up here in the city. So cool. um, uh, that's always something special to me. Is there uh, is theater uh, on the docket? Is do you know what the next gig is? What's um, I made a, a television show earlier this year uh, under the title at the time called The Looming Tower, based on Rich, um, Lawrence Wright's book The Looming Tower, right. about the rise of Al Qaeda and the bureaucracy between the FBI and the CIA that led to nine eleven. Happening. I played Richard Clark, the head of counterterrorism in that. Right. Uh, so that will be uh, uh, hopefully seen sometime in February. In, in terms of – that's on the Hulu network. Um, in terms of theater, I've got a, th- a couple different projects brewing. Nothing that I can speak on at the moment, but it's been a very long time since I've been on stage, and I'm longing to get on again, and I'm hoping that one of these – uh, 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 opportunities comes through. Yeah. Well, and someone hire him for a film where he gains or loses a hundred pounds. He's, <laughs> he's ready. To, he's ready to go all in. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. Doubt, I don't doubt your resolve. Um, uh, you know, it, it's great to see somebody that I respect so much get the kind of opportunities that you're getting, and, and to see one after another how you're making the most of them is is so pleasurable for an audience. Um, congratulations on all your work Thanks. this year. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 